to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Good evening, listener, and welcome to episode 96 of The Big Red Couch. Here on the dark side of the planet, I am Craig, and in the land of light... It's Ben. And our episode prompt for today comes to us, I believe, from Just Dave and the Thursday Gamers of Montreal, and is Lore Adepts. Hmm. It's been a bit of a brain rattler, this one. I've had to... I've gone back a ways trying to figure out a compelling tale to to wrap around this one, because it's a bit generic. I also ended up going going back a ways, but into more personal history. Mm-hmm. And... Just to clarify that I've got it right, that's L-O-R-E. Yes. Good. Because if it was the other one, I'd be rethinking this on the fly, and that rarely ends well. No, but we have not misrepresented law adopts, like some sort of orphan lawyer kind of... Like a Baker Street Irregular, but, you know, in um, gowns. Hmm. Somebody wandering up to the magistrate's desk. Please, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> Please, sir, I'd like to recuse myself. No. Okay, so that's getting... Nice. I, I did I did do the please, sir, may I have some more in our workplace once. You were asking for work, or...? <laughs> yeah, I was um, a university bookshop. I was working in the inward goods and goods processing bit of it. Had run out of uh, invoices to do, and was in a somewhat whimsical mood, mood, so I wandered up with my empty inbox on my knees to the desk of the person who uh, who did these things and said, please, sir, I'd like some more. And he got right into it and just did the more bang and then gave me some paperwork to do. Oh, that's a better work story than the other one that you got from that place, which was about the uh, that finding a particular textbook for somebody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, horribly injuring my knee. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I recall the one where you were going like, I need a textbook. I think it was blue and had a tiger oh. on the front. Oh, yes. Yes, it'll be one of the 4,000 English second language titles. Yep. Yeah. That was the special hell day, that one. <clears throat> Weirdly enough that uh, Jonan Vasquez put a, I, I'm looking for a book, I think it was blue. Blue. In one of those things. It was uh, a couple of years later that I saw that and I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> it's not just Craig's experience of that kind of thing. Nope, really does happen. It does. It's it's a it's a world thing. All right. So apart from tiny legal scamps and dangerously dyslexic book requesters, what have you got going on with the the law adepts? All right. Um. This one, this one involves a, a little bit. Well, the explanation for it involves a little bit of a traipse through my own memory lane, because for reasons that are not mine to tell, uh, I was basically reminded of being in hospital as a child and sort of realizing that an enormous yeah an enormous amount of my memory of my childhood involves hospitals and medical centers and i can still remember vividly exactly what the coffee vending machines at the Auckland Central Hospital waiting room looked like some 35 to 38 years ago that's still very vividly in my mind and just sort of Thinking back on my own history, I have all these memories of medical stuff. And yet at the same time, I know it didn't actually take up that much of it. Hmm. I had a few hospital stays, 
I had about three years running where I was hospitalized for a week or so each year and a bunch of medical stuff. It wasn't actually that huge a part of my childhood. It's just that looking back on it from 35 plus years later, that's the stuff that sticks out. That was that was memorable and mildly traumatic. It was, yeah, pretty much, yeah. It's, you know, if I really think about stuff and I think about, okay, well, this place and try to drill in, yeah, I can remember the other stuff, but it's the medical stuff that kind of floats to the surface all the time. Mm. And remember, folks, hospitals are creepy. And from personal experience, I can tell you that abandoned hospitals are creepier. <laughs> I can believe that, yes. I was about to go into a comparison between a couple of different New Zealand hospitals and then realised that I believe that legally allows any fan of the show, should they run into me, to shoot me. So I'm not going to do that. Because nobody wants to hear that shit. Plus, I think one of them's been torn down now. Wasn't anything to do with me. Right, no. It's probably standard That's practice. That sandwich could have been put behind the radiator by anybody. <laughs> Alright, so where I went with it is the idea that lore, in this case, is not just the great big tales and legends of a culture, but also the backstory of a person. Mm -hmm. Your recall of the past is rarely a perfect thing, and, like I was saying, even if you know your impressions of your own history are wrong, it doesn't mean they're not the thing you think of, and they affect how you do things. And so what I had the idea of with, with lore adept, because I was, you know, sort of got the, the lore and, you know, dusty old tomes and that kind of thing, and with adepts, I just jumped immediately to first edition Shadowrun when they brought in physical adepts of magical punching people. And so I came up with the idea of, well, effectively, how do you punch somebody in the backstory? Okay. You've, uh, that was a bit of a jump from personal mythology to somehow make weaponizing that. But carry on. Well, you know, it's you know, it's a bit of a mashup, but there's an episode yeah, this this constitutes spoilers for the Flying Shark Christmas special of Doctor Who, Matt Smith era, just so that we know. In that epi- in that episode, you've basically got the doctor interfering with somebody's history in order to turn them into the sort of person who will give enough of a shit to save the day. That's the, the sort of the the driver of that plot. So I sort of had the idea that you've got the, the, the lore adepts who are, you know, you can possibly go with a read-or-die approach that these are just very committed scary librarians hmm. or the the group of sages that nobody ever really talks about who solve problems, be they with a person or with an invading army, by removing the source of the problem. They change the story and the the backstory and the legend or whatever of the person or organization or empire so that they no longer oppose them. So, revisionist historians with a little bit more of a proactive bent. Pretty much, yeah. And there's a, there's a line from uh, Garak in Deep Space Nine of a true victory is to make your opponent realize that they were wrong to oppose you in the first place. Except in this case, rather than convincing them, you're literally punching them in the motivations. Hmm. This is it implicitly time travel, but possibly without the travel? Yeah, you could, you could do this with a... Yeah, almost any time travel system 
would be reasonably easily hacked to do this, though whether they're actually time traveling or whether they're whether there's something else going on, realistically you're probably going to end up with a time travel metaphor. You could just as easily do this as a time travel game. It's just that rather than rather than traveling in time to the actual history, they're traveling in time to the remembered history, a much weirder and fuzzier thing. Mm. And it it's effectively establishing an alternate reality. Mm. Cool idea, though I must balk a little bit the fact that this resembles a certain skein of YouTube video where people recontextualize or decontextualize history around political, certain political viewpoints for clicks and lulls. I was not aware of this. Yeah, it's a little a bit of a cottage industry, and there are some, some quasi-famous individuals. And I follow... I, I may be biased in this. No, I'm absolutely biased in this. I follow a small squadron of people whose, whose entire life purpose appears to be to sit down and pick holes in the logical arguments of these people when they can find them. And yeah, it's a, it's a thing. It, it's... Largely, I mean, Alex Jones might be the most successful example, because he's like actually got a television show. But, yeah. That name rings a bell and does not have good mental associations. Yeah, angry, angry man so sells you protein shakes and, um, I don't know, stag antler scrapings and so forth to keep your um, vital essences pure. But that's... that's Sorry, that's just that's just sorry, that's a small misgiving that I have with some of the connotations of your idea. Let's assume the players are good and wholesome, shall we? That would be nice. Yeah, that that that'd be good. I am not providing links for that shit. There's some funny stuff out there. But, especially... Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not linking that shit. <laughs> Anywho. Enough of that. So squadrons of folks looking to disincentivize or defeat enemies of their nation slash ideology by means of changing the context and the, the remembered history of the world. Like I say, as you say, punching them in the um, narrative. Pretty much, yeah. I think a lot of it would depend on what role you put these lore adepts in. I mean, if you went with a, a log horizon approach and have them as these sages who study the whole world... Hmm. That's probably the, the the safest and easiest and nicest way to go, because then their motivation presumably is going to be, well, let's stop people from screwing this up too badly. Right. If you go with the rather more partisan approach of these are a group of sages and um, scholars and whatever of one particular kingdom, hmm. that's a bit different. Yes. And presumably gets a bit nastier. Well, you know, it's an, it's an ideological approach. It's not, strictly speaking, any worse than, say, assassination, bloodshed, revolution, etc., which is pretty normal fare for, for role-playing games, to be honest, you know? It's like, kill the evil king. Sure. Mm. I got a sword and <laughs> a couple of days to spare. Yeah, that's pretty normal. It's interesting that we find it irksome that that doing that via changing the three, uh, changing the representation of history and so forth is somehow worse. But, fair enough. <laughs> mm. 
So that that's where I went with that one. Okay. It is, as you say, it's more or less a time travel game in that any system that can do a time travel game would be able to handle this without real problem. Well, no greater problem than any other time travel game. And are there any time travel games? <laughs> oh, no, no, there is one, isn't there? The Chrono... Well, I mean, aside from the entire Doctor Who adventures in time and space... Come on, Doctor Who is timey-wimey at best. Are they Okay, it's a timey-wimey travel game. There's also Time Watch from yeah, yeah. Pelgrane, I believe. Mm-mm, which has more mechanics about, you know, creating paradoxes and stepping out of the time stream for a bit to do something and coming back. It does let you do the the Bill and Ted's um, bogus journey and excellent adventure stuff. Mm-hmm. Which it, it necessarily does. So, yeah, I'm just... If it's... I mean, if it's not time travel drone in that circumstance it is effectively it's effectively like the the ministry of truth the role-playing game which also makes me <laughs> makes me a little uncomfortable you see i i was thinking more the bibliomancers from that uh jim i think it's jim hines series i will double check that of people who are essentially doing magical shit using books Regardless of the talismans they use, the focuses and so forth, what are the impacts that they have? What does what what do they change when they do a spell? Well, it's mostly things like, hey, I'll reach into my coffee of uh, Star Wars, and now I have a lightsaber. Oh right, uh, that's handy. Yeah, um, <laughs> but the the vibe of the thing, the using books, the the more scholarly approach. I think a lot a lot of it would come down to how you wrapped the trappings around things, because it would be if if you were going with the whole we are traipsing through a culture or an empire or an individual person's hmm. story it'd be nice if there was somebody there to oppose you well naturally there should be some conflict that's um, that's important would there be say an opposing force of dark librarians who either want to keep the the established status quo in place or are trying to resist you or maybe even maybe even the the Dewey decimal system itself is resisting your attempts to to alter history. That's a very uh, sapphire and steel interpretation of time being a, a vast, unstoppable sort of force kind of thing. But I was flashing to the episode of that an episode of the Tick where somebody, a communist-themed supervillain, starts off his rampage by destroying a statue of the guy who invented the horrifying capitalist Dewey Decimal System. I don't recall that one, but that sounds like something that happened on the tech. He, he he had, like, huge shoulder pads with little minarets on them. Uh, he's probably called Red Scare? Probably? Yeah, yeah. Something something like that. No, no, yeah, it's entirely possible. Not quite sure how Dewey Decimal System was capitalist specifically, but... Don't think he was either. He was reading from note cards. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, you got to keep something in those shoulder pads. Yep. Hmm. I think one of the one of the things that you could do is maybe couch this as if you are working against a a tyrannical force that uses this this, this force for ill. Something like Torg with the um, no, not System Lords. That's bloody Stargate again. Um, basically, the 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 invaders imposing their paradigms on the world, actually changing the the axioms mm. of operation. And this is slightly more subtle, where it changes attitudes and things that are things that are intellectually or you know 
things that seem to be possible rather than actually turning people into lizard folk. Maybe that that's why I do it. And you could like establish these are the bad guys. This is the lineup to which they become bad guys. You can do things approaching that line of of of, of questionable morality, but until you start to get relatively close, you're probably okay. Mm. Yes, the idea of sort of traipsing through a traipsing through a legend, as it were, and having arguments with the people involved of that's not how it happened. Really? Are you sure that's not how it's happened? Guess you could kind of go like a like a like a sort of Aesop's fables kind of thing, or like um, or maybe like the there's a comic book called Epicurus the Sage, where the the titular character lives through the era of both Greek history and Greek myth and legend. You know, the he's there when um, help helps out with the negotiations between Pluto and uh, Persephone. Yeah, when they're when they're sorting out their um their time sharing arrangement uh, and uh, ongoing relationship. So, and other little other little fragments of of mythological history, and he's kind of there contributing and basically being a bit of a smart ass. Yeah, and it it brutally mashes up. You know, the, 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 it's got, there's like a, a five year old Alexander the Great who's a murderous little shit, learning philosophy so he can become a great man someday. And various other characters make an appearance, and so I go. It's a little whirlwind tour through, through that era of history, with interjections by gods and so forth. But the the idea that you establish a, your existing mythology, and then the the players attempt to go and tweak things in it to to have a ha- to have a happier result. That's an interesting one. And if you make the environment that kind of virtual one. Where you aren't actually going back in time, but you're you're affecting the stories that help people understand the world. That's mm. a bit different. Some of your effects are effectively retroactive, but it's not time travel. No, it's I grant you a weird one, but that's just where I ended up. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Should we drop in one of the audience ones now, or uh, if you wish? Uh, we've got one from Jason Gill about Canadian mind beams. All right, I can give that a read. Alright, okay, from Jason Gill, about on our episode Canadian Mind Beams, which was all the way back. The 80s. Ah, the 80s. Such a golden era. Back in, yes, episode 87. Oh, wow, okay, I, I was just making an era, like a calendar <laughs> yeah. era piss take. I, I had no idea I was actually in the 80s. Well, dude, okay. yeah, no, dude, Canadian, Canadian Mind Beams were big in the 80s. They were a very, very new wave. <laughs> Uh, I... They never made it to New Zealand. I mean, yeah, okay, nobody ever did. Hey, no, no, they were bootleg. Late, Latex-injected dogfish never made it to New Zealand. <laughs> Cheap pocket octopus. <sighs> oh, dear. All right. From Jason. Okay, okay, so I'm really late to the party with this, and my idea is pretty half-baked, but bear with me. A small group of Canadian lumberjacks, far from home in the remote forests of no- northern Alberta, the weather's just turned warm. Time for a nice campfire and some beers with friends outdoors. But after everyone's had a few, and the fire has started to die down, there's a strange flash of light and strange sounds from deep in the forest. Grabbing whatever they can from their pickup, our ragtag group of inebriated, plaid-clothed investigators head into the forest to investigate. A dim glow leads them deeper and deeper into the forest, until they come upon a remote, fenced-off compound, strangely abandoned. 
They're about to turn around when a second flash eliminates the compound and knocks them flat. Getting up, disorientated and dizzy, or is it just the beer, they're able to make out the outline of a bunker leading underground to... somewhere. Pressing on, they approach the heavily secured door when they're jumped by a burly gentle person, a blazing red uniform and a snazzy hat. Curses! Mounties! Almost instinctively, one of the party bins to apologise. Sorry, sir, we were just camping. We saw a strange light. We were just curious <laughs> what was out here, and I hope we're hoping to get a better look. Marty's expression seems strained for a brief second before relaxing. Oh well, my mistake. I thought you might have been near to Wells who wanted to establish this secret hidden CSIS research facility. You seem like nice folks. Maybe you'd like to have a look around. The party stares at the dumbfounded as they unlock the bunker's outer door and gesture in. Somehow you have stumbled across this strange kind of very polite persuasion. One might even call it Canadian Mind Beams. The objective of the game is for the party to venture into the depths of a secret CSIS research project and uncover the shocking secrets of Canadian Mind Beams, using their, their powers of politeness to get, to get past security in a, ver, in a form of very gentle, soft-spoken mental combat. I have no particular system in mind for this, which, which almost certainly means that there would be uh, it can happily default to some flavour of fate. Spoiler. The Mimees are probably caused by a secret, and actually very pleasant, super weapon buried deep in the complex, and it's up to our heroes to stop the rogue branch of the Canadian government from enacting its diabolical plan. Or not. I mean, that's pretty open-ended. And I had uh, commented, presumably this facility is out in the middle of nowhere because they knew that the politeness hospitality feedback loop would cause security breaches if it was ever found, and the off-site monitoring services are... Desperately calling for the lumberjacks to be arrested while being told that they seem like a nice bunch. Hmm. It does seem like a novelty scenario. Very much predicated on the um, politeness of Canadians, but I read a game forward just this morning which told me that this Canadian fellow is way too Canadian for his own good, so I'm going to big him up in the forward of his own game. Way too Canadian. Yeah. It might not be the precise wording, but I'm going to... Fair enough. I'm actually wondering what happens if you take that scenario and... Oh god, no, that's a dreadful idea. Why did I think that? I'm just imagining replacing the the lumberjacks in the scenario with a group of teenage superheroes using the masks system. So you've got people being terribly nice while interpersonal conflict occurs. I have no idea what happens. I'm sure it'd be hilarious. But setting that particular idiotic idea aside, yeah, this this feels like a con scenario to me. Because mm-hmm. that, that pitch alone is just brilliant, and I would sign up for that game. Hmm, if, if you were using Fate, you'd make your, the consequences all things like mildly irritated and a little bit strung out and so forth. So rather than having like, devastating wounds or, 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 you know, having your spirit crushed or something. The consequences are all leading you to do something impolite. Maybe get a bit pushy, rather than than your normal set of implications. I think whatever is at the the centre of this facility has to be really awful. And not just in a sort of stereotypical Canada awful. Like it's a, a Tim Hortons that serves really shit coffee and stale donuts. You're talking Cthulhu awful kind of. In in that category, yeah, it has to be actually really bad, but still realistically, it needs to be bad, but comedy bad, which is a a tricky road to 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 follow. 
Mm. It's uh, something I've tried before, though, never really gotten to the core of it. You have, a, you have an apparent problem being caused by very bad people who are doing strange things for, you know, unexplained reasons. They discover, ah, oh, they're doing these quite unpleasant things for a good reason, and the alternative is much worse. Bother. So, cabin, cabin in the woods kind yeah, of territory. Yeah. Hmm. It, it doesn't mean the, the screw-you-all option isn't available, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I'm not... I'm genuinely not sure what should be at the at the centre of that. No, no, you are. You you understand perfectly what's going to be at the centre of that. The Nickelback. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, quite aside from having referenced them in the Overdrive Factor episode. I mean, the temptation, if we're going with the Canada is really nice thing, is to assume that there is some malevolent entity in there that is only kept contained by surrounding it with enormous numbers of incredibly nice people. Mm. That this is this is the terrifying sacrifice that all Canadians must make. Yes, they they know that if they if they falter, if they slip up, that the horror will be unleashed on the world. So mm. Yeah, that could be the thing. maybe the nickelback is just a projection that the one time that everyone was a bit grumpy and it escaped. <laughs> Oh, it's a way of bleeding off the worst of it. Possibly. Hmm. Alright. You know, that that there is this thing that lurks underneath the surface of, of all Canadians, and there are only a few ways that it can get out. So there's sort of, there's hockey. <laughs> yes. Which I understand to be some sort of sport that doesn't involve fighting, but I'm unsure how that bit works. The The go-to joke is always, I was in a fight and a hockey match broke out. And you know, Justin Bieber and Nickelback, and these sort of exist to kind of bring back into people's minds that this is the consequence of of not being nice, as as it were. This is how they remind them. Right. This is this is the somewhat sacrifice, somewhat penance. Penance. Yeah. The cautionary. Tale, yeah. I guess. Hmm. Okay. I mean, to be fair, I actually quite like a number of Nickelback songs. It's just that New Zealand radio had a distressing tendency to play them to death. I mean, they did that with every other song as well, so... Yeah, that's com- that is commercial radio for you. That's pretty much what they do. Yeah. I always felt sorry for any sort of new New Zealand band who got a number one hit or any sort of airplay anywhere else in the world because the New Zealand radio stations would pretty much guarantee that everybody hated them within about a fortnight. Mm. Yes, I remember the summer of How Bizarre. Ah, yes. The era of Renegade Fighter. (laughs) Yep. At this point, we're just stacking up weird YouTube links, aren't we? Pretty much. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Alrighty. Alright, so yeah, con game, that would be hilarious. Uh, I don't know whether it should be a comedy... A comedy eldritch horror, or just a a full-blown eldritch horror hiding under there. Mm, It depends how deeply anti-Canadian, as in the opposite of not being in opposition to you wanted to go. I think I got lost a few subordinate clauses um, ago, (laughs) but let's run with that. Fair enough. Okay. I I am liking the idea that if you sort of descend far enough down into this bunker, gravity starts working the other way, and you eventually come up into the hollow earth at the centre of which is this malevolent thing, and that basically it turns out the Hellmouth is actually just somewhere out in the wilds of Canada. Yeah. That would explain 
many things, I'm sure. Cool. Right, thank you, Jason, for the planned investigators of the subterranean dark secret of Canada's niceness. Be a fantastic setup for, was it Hollow Earth Expeditions? Alright. Did you want to do your lore sure. adept idea? Yep, I will. I'll do, I will do my lore adept notion. The idea of our personal mythology and so forth is actually also resonant in my idea. I may have started bending your idea a little bit towards my one as well, but... Remember, folks, you heard it from me first. Yep. He's ripping off my idea. No, no, I was perverting your idea. That's completely different. <laughs> Strangely, that doesn't sound any better. Nope, it In should fact, not. one could argue it sounds worse. <laughs> yes, it, it certainly should. The the use of the word law lately that I've been hearing a lot is people on the YouTubes, see, we're coming back to the YouTubes, talking about non-text or non, non-front-loaded stories and video games. Big open-world crap like Skyrim and the like, where you'll find you'll find out stories and histories by talking to people, or the hundreds of books that are scattered around this apparently sort of only semi-literate culture. It's a bit of a puzzle, but there you go. And people taking these, interpreting them, and then repackaging stuff that people have found and putting it into videos and saying, ooh, look at the things we found. It's got Skyrim in the title, even though this game is like five more years old now. Click on it, please. So, a lot of that is also people going diving into the backstory of shows, particularly Steven Universe, I found, because they've teased a crap load of stuff about everything and has led people to go speculate insanely. And often what the speculation tends to tell you more about is the person doing the speculating more than the actual source, because you're trying to interpret what a team of writers often is trying to do based on what you've seen so far, but the extrapolations of, uh, often really, really thought, like, hmm, you came to a, like a point in your, your, your chain of inference, and you went hard left at this point, and, you know, it sort of, it might have been sort of hanging together, but it really shows what you generally think of the universe and how it works at that stage. And it's, it's interesting enough. I mean, if you're bored, you can, you can watch stuff like that. Game of Thrones as well, people digging into Mr. Martin's previous works and deciding that, you know, uh, Westeros is a, like a, is, is a post-nuclear wasteland that has, re, has recaptured sort of medieval technology and explains all these other weird uh, things from the previous civilization. Kinda. <laughs> Does it explain the seasons? I don't see how it could, but I'm sure that, you know, th- this is where, this kind of where there's this, 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 this loop of overanalysis and so forth where the kinds of YouTube channels I was talking about before and things studying fictional history kind of kind of seem to get in the same sort of thing. It's relatively harmless with the fictional histories. It's when you're talking about actual history in the same way it gets a, bit, a little bit fucked up. So, so thinking about that, I also ran across a extensive video about the, the Polybius myth. Have you come across this at all? No. The, the story was in like the early 80s in Portland there was a, a weird video game a cabinet and an arcade with the name Polybius and people were rather than taking quarters from it people were turning up and taking reading, readings from it and data from what pe- of, of the players and people were being affected with like memory loss and seizures when they played it um, and there was some sort of implication the FBI was involved 
and so forth. It's like, and this is this is a straight up myth. The the video that I watched today um, can track it back as far as the the early to the early two thousands, but no further. And there's like implications that you know somebody has been ginned this up at some point in the uh, that early bright part of the, uh, the 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 century where the internet was practically anything would be read by anyone. The northwest um, the northwest forest um, tree octopi things like that. A lot, lot, there were lots of people. Oh yes, the the, the Pacific Northwest tree octopus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, things like that. Things like uh, that. yeah, your your basic your basic internet shenanigans from the period, which in a YouTube video by uh, Stuart Brown, who goes by the channel name Ahoy, who does lots of uh, interesting retrospective things about like video games and the Cold War and how they and how they had had a history. Some slightly um, lingering reviews of the weapons used in video games. They're a little bit... Um... He's got some Barry White in the background. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, hands where we can see them, son. It's a, it's a little... He does kind of caress the idea of firearms a little bit in these things. It's just a wee bit weird, but it's, it's cool. It, the, the videos themselves are very well made. The guy, the guy right. only puts them out really, and they're, they're pretty cool. And that, that's something that, that I've heard the myth before, and it sounds pretty exciting. I've seen like references in the background of things like The Simpsons and so forth, which is cool. Uh, and also, I have an occasional a, a non-identifiable, non-serious mental condition that means that occasionally, if I'm extremely tired, I just freaking pass out. And flashing lights and dark rooms apparently is not good to that because they happened to me one sometime in the early '90s when there were still like video game arcades down in uh, downtown Auckland. That's not the case anymore. Ooh, yeah. Bit the crap out of my tongue. That was, and someone stole my bag, which is you know lovely. But you know, otherwise I was I was. At, at least you didn't catch any sort of notifiable disease off the carpet. Yeah, that's 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 fair. <laughs> Look for the silver lining, and that's possibly the only thing that saved you. <laughs> there were no other sorts of lining involved, I'm sure. So that's uh, that's a that's a I think a personal interest. I uh, also remembered a YouTuber called Vine Source did. Possibly completely hoaxed, but quite tantalising thing where he goes to old MMOs and just sees what's left, basically. He'll see if he can find if there are any players or you know what what state the game is in. And he went to something called Active Worlds and was being chatted to by something he thought was an NPC, but it started answering his questions and talking to him directly. And eh, it's a little bit pants wetting. <laughs> Even in the context of it being on a server somewhere else, the cute little, cute little things like that. And I was also reminded by the fact that in Dragon Quest, the um, the magic using cl- uh, colleges, which you know, most people are mages. There are a few, you can play a non-mage if you want, but you're very specific, fiery style. Almost all of them, I think, almost all of them are referred to as ad- adepts of the College of Elemental Fire or something like that. Which is hilarious, because when you first start out, you have probably got a total of no ranks in any of your starting spells. So the only thing you're adept at is maybe waving your hands around and having nothing happen. Well, given the most spells will have like between a 10 to 40% chance of backfiring, depending on how carefully you take it. Um, and the backfires are, you know, anything from, you know, it, it, it's a little more tiring than usual to you lose... 
your entire memories for you know d10 weeks um yeah adept doesn't seem quite accurate at that point <laughs> dude yeah that was that was one of the interesting things about uh, early, uh, early adventures under that system with new with new characters were hilarious it was a, a laugh a minute three stooges kind of thing i do remember the tales of the kitten of yog sothoth but this is perhaps not the time for that. Indeed. Anywho. So with that set up. With that set up. With that rambling, rambling preamble. The idea that... And this is actually a little bit Ready Player One, though I've not actually read the book, but I understand vaguely what the premise is. That the players knew a person who was deep into a game, um, an MMO, that had an amount of player-produced content that was relatively difficult and obscure to get to. It could you could you could create things in the world, and it wasn't the the locked down carnival ride experience that some of them are. And something happened to them; they vanished, they passed away. But there is some sort of legacy, something left behind, less like like an inheritance or you know, vast sums of money or something, but maybe an answer to a question, a secret that has 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 gone undiscovered at this point. The characters in the game want to find out what that is. Possibly, and I, and I would suggest that in definite sort of varying degrees of incentive, they either want to like reconnect with this person that they've lost, or to solve this riddle, or possibly have some some atom of revenge, or or um, to beat them at the game that they've set up. So that they're they're playing this this MMO, attempting to uncover this mystery. But it's and there's, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a um, a time clock on it because you know the, the game will not be up forever eventually someone will notice that these servers are m- producing no money and drawing power and eventually just shut them down but the and uh, the the other wrinkle about it is that i'd make it a nice high level abstract system so people are good at different sort of tasks and you can abstract out being you know your character in the game being good at something but part of the other um, approach is that you need to actually maintain a life you have to you have to live outside the game. You're, you're doing a bit of a boss raid or something equivalent. The person who set this up is it's very elaborate and has left clues and stuff and, and put it in all the most inconvenient places. But part of it is not just defeating the monsters, it's managing to work together to your slightly varying ends and also not drive each other crazy. So I'm kind of... I, I got the, um, the latest um, bundle of holding, which had some more some more Powered by the Apocalypse games, including Headspace, which we've discussed before, which I'm reading through at the moment, and seems very interesting. And Masks, which mm-hmm. I want to have a better look at. Mm-hmm. Um, Headspace particularly has the idea of the, 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 that's the cyberpunk shared consciousness thing, where people can borrow skills, but harm and stress and so forth carry over the group. It basically sits in a big chart in the middle of the table, and various, various things will, will make the, the group more... And they'll increase their rage or their ego or their fear and affect the entire play experience. The idea that you're maybe and maybe throw in a bit of a night witch's kind of duty cycle thing, where the characters are going about their lives, dealing with shit, then in their downtime attempting to solve this totally obscure, opaque like did you ever see the book Masquerade by Kit Williams? No, it does not ring a bell. Basically, it is a paper ARG. An artist called Kit Williams made a 
basically a sculpture, which was like a hair, as in rabbity kind of hair, with like semi-precious gemstones, and buried it somewhere in England. He then published a book of art full of little clues as to where it was. It is insanely deep. Animals hidden in every panel, I think. Um, there are little number square puzzles. There are literary allusions and, and, and poems and so forth. And it was it was it was reasonably famous in uh, in England in the early eighties. And yeah, it was it was a real massive thing where you tried to f- people tried to figure out based on the information in the book. So like boil down. The, the, the cryptography and all the clues in there to find this thing. It turned out, I think, the, the, the person in question ended up, uh, they found it, had followed him and hadn't actually worked out the uh, things, but... Eh, <coughs> yeah, yeah. But, so mm. Possibly needed to lead up a bit more to that and maybe throw a few more false false clues in. But yeah, he did that in another set of books. And there's a, there's a really... It's a really niche kind of thing where you take a um, complex kind of pitch um he's quite he's quite a talented artist as well so the book itself is is beautiful in its own way it's kind of like a baffling children's story but yeah that layer that you know that somebody and hell of a marketing tool as well it's like the 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 idea that you could go and dig up and win the buried treasure was the implicit thing that was that that's kind of the idea the notion that you are trying to track down this person or the secret they've behind but the things that are stopping you are not just their complete unwillingness to, to, to be forthcoming with this information, but also the stressless and strains of doing what might be effectively like a week-long boss raid and keeping yourself alive and employed and on speaking terms with people you love during this process. And, you know, not murdering one another because mm. it's extremely stressful. That's the the idea that you are... And you know, Laura Depps could refer to the game or something that the world that you're going you're going into would make a fantastic name for a, some sort of fantasy MMORPG. Mm, mm. So that kind of that, that sprung to mind. And I would I would actually go for grungy. I wouldn't I wouldn't make this VR or anything more fancy than that. It's actually your your sit down a keyboard game, but played played through this fact that they're running around in this wasteland massively outnumbered by the, the mobs in the world, having to deal with us in a relatively small party. But they're the only people who give a shit about the content that's left or was created. And they're following a breadcrumb trail through an entire virtual world to try and track down what happened. It puts me in... Or bits of it put me in mind, weirdly enough, of the episodes I saw of the TV show Digimon. That's not unfair, yeah. Admittedly, I had some... I had a few questions about the show Digimon... I I preferred it more to Pokemon because the monsters actually had like personalities and a function and <laughs> and a function and, and free will, but there was also the bit where they suddenly discovered that the big evil digital emperor was another student at their school, and so they're making these plans to defeat this guy. But nobody ever thought of hey, why don't we just wait till we see him wandering around and then kick the shit out of him behind a Seven <laughs> Eleven. Give him such a wedgie that we win. A little bit, yeah. Fair enough. Um, yep. No, that that's fair. And I've heard, I I have no comparison even with the Pokemon's and so forth. Though I have heard again people on YouTube. I watch too much YouTube. Has anyone figured that out yet? Um, I was noticing the 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 the, the YouTubeness coming up a bit, but 
but people people do regard it highly, depending on the series, because that's always the way these things go. Well, yeah, I have no idea which series I saw. It was just there was a school, there was the Digital Emperor, there might have been something about metal rings, oh, and the enslavement of Digimon. So no, no that's all fair. And yeah, so what, what's what's your what's your feels about the whole making it, making this virtual world experience also uncomfortably real from time to time. I like it. I mean, I like the Night Witches type approach, because then you've got this... You've got the ability for the real the real world to affect the game world and vice versa without having to have it act... Yeah, to have a, a direct connection. There not being some magical neural link or something. Yeah, there's no magical neural link the your failures in the game world are not causing your relationship with your flatmates to break down. It's your massive consumption of caffeine. Yeah, yeah your failures <laughs> in the game world are what's making your relationship with your flatmates break down. Yeah, that is your. That's quite fun. Your fatigue, your neglect of your neglect of various duties and and hygiene. And yeah, yeah, and it depends what it would. I think it would be. I think it would be slightly more touching if it was kind of like a grown adult responsibility kind of thing where these people are, are, are maybe, maybe even convening remotely but so they're, they're not people who should normally be able to take a week off to play a video game but because of the circumstance and they may have done it in the past but the circumstance they have to they've, they've got to go back they've got to go back to that place where you can never go back to to try and figure this out before the, uh, the time the time frame collapses Shades of and, and I don't mean in the way it works, but more in the feel of the thing. Um, Stephen King movie, possibly called Dreamwalker? Don't recall that one, but it is, it is a little bit, I guess, reminiscent of it. Because the, um, the adults have to like, provoke, uh, to confront what the kids experienced as well, in that, in that aspect. Maybe it's just a Stephen King thing. I'll just check whether it was... Because... Dreamcatcher. Ah, okay. Well, that was the same King thing. Man, they made a lot yep. of his, his books in the movies. Yep. Some of them have even worked. Yeah, Dreamcatcher, which basically has... I mean, it's got a little bit of the stand-by-me uh, nostalgia thing, but with rather more horror involved. And yeah, it's basically a group of adults who, as, as kids, had this kind of bonding experience, are drawn together once more. Hmm shit gets weird. Because it would. Because it would. No, even if nothing supernatural happened, you know, you, you can't go back, as, as as the song says. I don't recall which song. <laughs> but... So, yeah, it would be interesting. I am in two minds as to whether to, if I was running it, to aim for the ending that is just kind of poignant, kind of a goodbye letter from whoever this person is. Go. There's no, there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There is no buried treasure where X marks the spot. It's just a, a goodbye note. Yeah, I, I think leaning on systems that allow the players to prompt what's going on would be important there. I think so. You get, so you get what feels to the group as being an appropriate outcome. Yeah, because you could go the other way of you know at the end of this, this quest is actually something important. Hmm. I think it would be. I think the idea would be to find out, find the importance in it for 
the characters and figure that out between the players and the GM. The idea, the idea would be, you know, somebody might, you know, resolve that finally he was going to crack one of these puzzles, you know, and maybe manage it, but the the expected thrill of victory isn't quite the same. Some there was somebody felt that they could have done more to help this person and to do this last gesture to to make sure that it wasn't lost. That this this the thing that they had created wasn't lost to the world. So it would be, I think the literal thing you find is not as important as the thing the characters get out of it. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely not a one shot. It would be a bit rushed. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. It wouldn't. I wouldn't make it. You know, it wouldn't be a a five year campaign kind of thing. Oh, good God, no. But definitely, would would need a little bit of time to, to stew. And to, to some degree, it would be semi-ideal to make it... Huh, well, if you go, if you can impose or constrain the way it's played, you might actually want to play it over, like, an eight-hour period or something like that to make it uh, an extended session to mimic the grind and make people feel the, 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 the burn, as it were. So rather... <laughs> It, it, that's a, a bit dickish thing to impl- to to impose on uh, your game. It's like play the game until your eyes bleed. But um, it might be one approach to like give, get the whole. We're doing this thing. We're on a clock. Everyone's starting to wear out a bit. <laughs> hmm. You don't have to like that. That's an awful idea. <laughs> it makes it a very difficult game to to run. Oh yeah, to to schedule or just logistically. Yeah. First one, then the other. <laughs> but I do like the idea. Okay, cool. Weirdly, I had the thought that, depending on how you wanted to um, approach it, if you wanted to do the the sort of the one the one shot version of it, something like Pilgrims of the Flying Temple might not be a bad approach, suitably modified. The idea that you're trying to complete the letter, the requ- that request, yeah, that does have a bit of a fit to it. And the deciding at the end what happens to your character, which way do they go? Mm, mm. Maybe, maybe make it slightly more tangible on game mechanics, but similar sort of mold. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the beauty and charm of Pilgrims of Flying Temple is that you have two stats and it's in your name. Well, yes, you get stones of one color or the other, and it's, it's very compact, very clean and simple, and like childlike if but not childish kind of experience this one would be a mm. little bit more verging on the grown ups kind of experience yes so that might undercut that a little bit but yeah you can add a little more, a little bit more complexity not much i suspect as we're dealing with you don't want to actually have people going ah my stat is this and my char- my pc's character in the game rolls to hit this that would be just awful Having them break down, so they've got different sort of strategies, and they they can they've got good recall of the uh, law within the game and the rules within the game and so forth. Cool. Oh, yeah, I do like that idea. Um, we had another suggestion from the audience. Actually, j- j- jumping back briefly to your idea, are all the players? Yes, are all the player characters? in the same, sort of accessing this game world from the same place, or from vastly different places, do you think? I don't know, it would depend. I think, initially I thought they would be, they would be interacting via chat and so forth. It would change the dynamic up a bit. What, what's, what's the thrust of your question there? Oh, it was mostly a strange Iggy Pop music video that came to mind. Okay. 
where the 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 main crux of the music video is mostly this guy attempting to make a video phone call and uh, keeps getting cut off. Okay. But the entire thing is this sort of destroyed um, industrial wasteland kind of vibe. That's not unusual for Iggy's videos. I think that was, is fair. <laughs> I think it was the video for Home. I was just Iggy in all of his gangly, sinewy glory climbing around on a giant shopping cart in a giant alley. This one, I think, may have involved a Citroen uh, 2CV. Oh, nice. And some sort of VR rig. Oh, I just sort of suddenly had the thought that you had all these people who were sort of interacting with the same no longer really running MMO, but the situation that they're accessing them from are just completely different. So you've got sort of suburbia, big city, somebody who for whatever reason is living completely off the grid in this half-demolished factory Mm. and who looks kind of like somebody's shrink-wrapped a toast rack. (laughs) Yep. Uh, It was just a thought that came to mind. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that would be that would be part of the part of the setup and would have affect how things go. The having them split up would mean that you know the interacting with real life would be one would be quite distinct. That's the problem. If you had everyone called back to so one of the one of the characters' basements, there would there would be more. You know, if you were going to play that to the to the to the, to the nines, you know, the the party breaking down just from the stress of this kind of epic quest could be part of it and doing it face to face would be more sense that is true now, we also had a uh, audience idea from Trigger Happy 938 ok this one was for Taylor Tinker Soldier Barista and reads so the talk of possession paired with the talk of making it a high fantasy game inflicted upon me a singularly horrible idea that I cannot shake and am now inflicting on you Thank you, Trigger Happy. Thank you, Straight to Hell. (laughs) We we won't forget this. Take the idea of your group of high fantasy adventurers having blackouts, weird impulses, and inexplicable knowledge and abilities outside of their experience to its stupidest logical conclusion. That's our shtick. Come on. (laughs) Yep. Stupidest logical conclusion. That is the big red couch way. Maybe less on the logical... Yeah, I was going to say something, but (laughs) definitely definitely the, the first and last. Yeah. They are PCs in a tabletop game, and their players are really bad about staying in character. As a result, each of the characters has access to knowledge and skills related to their players' day-to-day life. Oh, those poor sons. Anyway. (laughs) I'm thinking shades of the novel Mog by Ben Croshaw. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it. I have. Ben... okay. It is basically an NPC and an MMO gains sentience and tries to do something about his about his plight. A lot of it hinges <laughs> on the fact that he's undead and he could probably it's it's kind of useful being undead. <laughs> Very low heating bills. Yes. <laughs> the actual players will be playing the PCs realizing they are being manipulated at least in part by these outside sources. From here you can go in a couple of different directions. It could turn into a story of fictional constructs turning against the writers. The world starts turning more hostile the more the PCs go off script as the GM tries to railroad them back onto their scripted and ultimately pointless adventure. If you want to go really hard down the Mog route, have the PCs determine that death is the only escape and have the world bend over backwards to try to keep them alive and keep the game going. 
actually that might have been the undead thing I was thinking of the attempt to to get out of this place yeah all right keep going <laughs> alternatively the plot could be that there is somehow some sort of threat that reaches across their bounds and the PCs might have to establish communication with their players and work together to stop some sort of multi-dimensional danger for this approach I think having the danger be primarily on the player's side might be the most interesting take this might involve running a game across two systems something appropriately high fantasy pulp for adventurers like Pathfinder or Dungeon World and something more grounded and low-powered for the mundane stuff. A low-powered GURPS build or Savage Worlds could do the trick. As a corollary, I think this setup almost demands that the player jobs and the PC classes mismatch as much as possible. The guy playing the Barbarian has an inexplicable knack for figuring out weird technologies as his tech support, Tinker, player goes through the same motions he goes through to get Agatha's workstation running again. The Bard has an unusually solid grasp of how to tactically clear a room because he's played by a military vet. The possibilities are endless. Okay, first thing I want to promise is that despite this being added to our, our Trello board in sometime in July, I don't remember reading this, and despite it, this crossover with my idea, it's definitely somewhat independent, though from the other direction. Huh, that is interesting. So... Mm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. The other thing I'd like to say is the... Um, I'd like to play the no-no-no cat noise about running two systems, especially if they are GURPS and D&D. <laughs> that would just be fucking confusing, man. Well, yeah, I, I, if you can pull it off, but... Oh. Ow. Yeah, more power to you if you, if you want to try something like that, but I, uh, I'd probably err on the side of... Um, abstracting at least one of them. I've outlined what I would intend to do. but Captain, I am detecting large quantities of nope in this thing. <laughs> eh, it would be imp- I'd be impressed. Put it that way. I would be impressed. But, mm. yeah. Eh, no, no, that's it's pretty... It's, it's like, but I, like I say, it's very much along the lines of the same sort of thing I was thinking. And, you know, having read Mog, though, I confess it didn't make as much impression on me as Jam. I like the writing style. Uh, Mr. Croshaw is pretty amusing, though he's not as fun as he used to be. I haven't read either of them, but I have read John Skelsey's Red Shirts, which hmm. has a similar sort of idea going on. But yes, the idea the, the idea of playing players being badly played by other players, sorry, playing characters being played by other players, occasionally having to do dumb things, would be pretty funny. It would be entertaining to adopt the process a bit like Better Angels does, mm. where if you're playing the bard, the person next to you is playing the bard's player. Yes, now that's a good, that's a really good call. Because you can have some fun with that, particularly if you make, the, make it, it's the spatial arrangement that defines it, mm. not the identity of the player. If you swap seats, the person playing the bard changed. Oh no, that would be that would be amusing. Also, if the if the the other, the other player goes, AFK BRB, ah oh, no, <laughs> I can't move. Someone else. <laughs> I like the idea of. I'm just sort of thinking of the mechanics of running between the systems. I like the idea of some sort of mechanic that would enable the the player, the player to influence the PC. And if you assume that the game's going to exist kind of in two phases, that you've got 
the PC bit and you've got the player bit and you're going to swap between them. I I like the idea of the the PCs are doing stuff and then the player, so the bard's player, can, I don't know, sort of fling there once per session, we go wildly off character um, token uh, into the pot and suddenly the bard knows exactly how to clear this room. Hmm. And yeah, actually, the rather than that going into a central thing, you'd actually pass it. You would have a player does something explicable token, but you'd pass it to the person playing the character. Now that player has the token, and they can't pass. Uh. It, they can't pass it back. They've got to go around. They've got to go around the circle. Maybe you have. A to- I like it. Maybe you have a to- tokens that go left and tokens that go right. <laughs> so, uh, I just yeah, I think just if you just have it, the whole thing of. It gets handed from player to PC. Yeah. But once the PC's used it, it's whoever is playing that PC is the next player. Yep. Maybe maybe a talking I think stick. That actually made sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's actually the so it's a talking stick to some degree. Yeah. Except you maybe have a few of them out there. Yeah. So you sort of give everybody one of them for each session. So you've potentially got a bunch of them in play because we've all had those sessions where it just goes completely to hell. There could be a couple of different things that maybe you need. Maybe you need, say, two or three tokens to do something really dramatic. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I disconnect for two minutes or something is one token, and the, so the character gets drawn around on you know autopilot doing whatever they want, but mm. they get it. There's a single token out of it, something like that. So there's a different. Uh, that would be an interesting economy to to discuss yeah. and build up. So that sounds like how are we going to get the uh, the barbarian into the middle of the city without anybody? Anybody noticing them, the Barbarians player throws in the AFK token and then just comes back after they're already in there. How do they do it? Very well. <laughs> yep. Yes, how did the, the the Barbarian, being played by very standard first edition rules, not slaughter the entire Mages College? We're really not sure. <laughs> no, that's actually... Mm. That's an interesting, and I promise, completely accidental synergy with the idea that I had. At least, but, as I say, it's like in two different directions. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yay! Yeah, thematically appropriate. Hmm, that is pretty damn cool. That's quite. I'm drawing a distinction here between comedy games and amusing games. This one wouldn't have to be a comedy game, but it strikes me that it's going to be really amusing to play. By comedy game, do you mean a game in which you are you are funny? You do the funnies. Rather than yeah, one in which funny things happen. Well, yeah, uh, a game I played at this year's Gen Con, which was effectively Suicide Squad mm. in Candyland. Yeah, that I would classify as a funny game because you've got a flying monkey, a Disney evil queen, Wiley Coyote with his taxidermied Roadrunner. That's inherently a funny game. Whereas an amusing game, the stuff that's happening in it might not actually be that much funny, uh, that that funny, but it's going to be kind of amusing to see what happens. Ah, right. So the the one that that is fun and funny during the game, and you're encouraged to be comedic, which let's call comedy. But there would be the one. There is the one that you would like to see play out, despite it possibly being horrible. Yes, and actually <laughs> the example the example I'd go with again from that same Gen Con would be. Yes, the the Quags uh, Candyland Has Fallen game would be the comedy game. The 
Eclipse Phase game with the title of Xenovore <laughs> is the other one, because the stuff that's happening in that game was absolutely horrible. Right. But it was really funny watching it happen. Right. Fair enough. Go the, oh, this guy's been infected with something? Yeah, I'll totally go in there to see what's going on here. Uh-huh. I think this might be a strongly influenced by your perspective, but okay. well, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm not certain it's a super useful distinction, but it's, it, it's a certainly a personal mm, yes. a, it's a certainly a personal position. <laughs> I don't know if I can categorize how you'd categorize that. It's it, maybe how you categorize an experience. Which there is, is fair. There is fair. Cool. Alrighty, so those are a bunch of ideas that somehow got out of my brain. Mm. And and other people's brains too. Yay. We'll round them up, I'll get the net. Being as we are super organised and um, we probably want to make sure we have a topic for next time, don't we? Alright, do you want to just ferret around in the box of mystery and haul out a card? The box of misery, yes. The box of misery. <laughs> while, while that's going on, I'd just like to give a bit of a shout out to the folks on the Fear the Boot forums who had some fun and quite thought-provoking thoughts as to what could be done for next Gen Con uh, on the Big Red Couch line. Sort of what what we could do or I could do uh, at Gen Con to do, do something a bit more um, bit more interesting than, well, here's my Gen Con, what I did on my holds. Um, the very most recent Fear the Boot uh, episode was very much... Uh... So John and Little Sexy, I think is that the guy's hand was. <laughs> Who were, I think used to be on the trap cast. That's, that's what I understood too. We're at Gen Con and they're discussing how the uh, how the um, the bar for being organised and getting your shit together and turning and being able to turn up when now is a little bit more prompt. But they are talking about making it an official thing and doing their um, and getting their social medias together and doing a bit more of a fear the book thing so hey catch up with those guys for as long as you can stand them I'm sure yeah. they're lovely actually but I suspect they are uh, I mean it's a thing yeah fair enough yeah I, I don't really know how that um, mm-hmm. how to phrase that any better but yes there were su- some very good suggestions from Taz and Kitamono some of which were repeating sort of some earlier ideas that did have me researching what booth costs at Gen Con were at four in the morning great idea Definitely. Yes. See what can be figured out, because it would be nice to do a little bit more at Gen Con than play games and take up space. Than, than just sort of doing a... Yeah. It was quite fun doing little youtube things, so maybe something along those lines. Yeah. Cool. Um, and on the topic of next week's topic, mm-hmm. I've just flipped over the pile, and I'm going to go with this one. Because it is, my life is essentially the tale of Tuan Bobo, only dumber. Which is cool. From Will Myers. Okay. The Tale of Juan Bobo? That is what I am choosing to read from the card. Alright. Yep. Alright, so, ready for next week. Thank you, Will. And, yeah, can you ping me a link? Of, yeah, ping, ping me a picture of that card when you take one, because, yes. <laughs> you, you'd like to verify this for yourself. It's understandable. Hmm. Alright. Thanks for uh, the contributions for our listeners, and thank you for everyone for listening in while we burble about video games and YouTube and unspeakable things found therein. And what lurks at the heart of Canada and indeed in the heart of every Canadian. Yes. 
It is known. <laughs> Alright. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Good night, everyone. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time!